Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Brent Jones. Enjoy. I get the awesome privilege of sharing God's word this morning, and we've just been in such a sweet series on the presence of God. And this morning, God was speaking to me, and I really don't know where we're headed this morning. So buckle up. I don't know what's, what's I, I have, I mean, I have notes. That's not the problem. I just don't know where God's headed this morning. And, I, and I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? Amen. All right, so Isaiah chapter 61 says, Jesus, Jesus actually reads it uh, once in, in the synagogue. And part of it, though, an excerpt from that, it's about the year of Jubilee, actually. And he, he says this, he says, um, I'm here to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. That's the word for you this morning. He's here this morning to bring the oil of gladness to your heart, to my heart. The oil of gladness, it's something that when he pours it out, you can feel in your heart and in your life. It's something that you carry because he gives it. The oil of gladness. Some of you are like, man, my heart's pretty dry. Okay, it's time for the oil of gladness. Some of you are saying, hey, I'm, I'm just stuck in a dark season of mourning. Okay, the oil of gladness is here. The oil, the oil of gladness is going to be poured out today. And I don't really know how he's going to do it. Um, I have a pretty practical message planned this morning, and I, I like practical. I'm a guy who likes to just kind of be told, hey, do this. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. Anybody practical like that in the room? Yeah, I'm, I'm very pra- God's very practical. God laid out a way. He's very practical. And when God lays a way out, I suggest, I think, we ought to keep it. And so this morning, I'm going to pray for us as we begin. And I just want to welcome everybody here in the room and online to just join in prayer with us right now. We're going to pray and just say, God, Pour out the oil of gladness on my heart and on my life. Come, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the incredible privilege of opening your word with your family. What a privilege. What a joy that we get to gather freely in this place and just read your word, soak in your word, and talk about your great love, your great compassion, your great care, your way. Thank you that we get to discuss your ways. Thank you for all you've done. We just welcome you, Lord, to pour out the oil of gladness on our hearts today. Pour it out on my life today and my heart today, God, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, um, you know, I've only been on staff here for about, I think, like a year and a half or so. Before that, my my wife, Kate, and I and our five kids, we came to the vineyard about four and a half, almost five years ago, just over four and a half years ago, we've been here. um, And... We love it. We love the vineyard. We love what God's doing here. I love what I, one of the things I love about the vineyard is uh, one of our um, core values is that everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to do the stuff. Everybody gets to pray for people. Everybody gets to share with people. Everybody gets to do what God's doing in our generation. Everybody gets to participate in it. It's not just for missionaries. We are the missionaries. Amen. Amen. So that's one of the core values that I love most. And and, you know, this morning, I, like I said, I'm going to get really practical because, you know, my actually, be, before uh, four and a half years ago, I actually have roots in the vineyard. Um, before that, my wife and I were at a, at, a, at a smaller charismatic church. And, you know, like I grew up in a really small charismatic church, you know, the kind of, you know, like with Sister Sharon praying in tongues behind you, like the whole service, right? And jumping up and down just a little bit, right? Not too much. It couldn't be considered dancing. Um, you had to keep your shoes on unless you were dancing. And then you could take them off just if you were hopping, nothing much. (laughs) Anybody? Yeah, yeah, you know. That's what I grew up in. But, um, you know, I actually, um, when I was 16, I started leading worship. Um, And I was extremely young and did a lot of stupid stuff while leading worship uh, that they very gently corrected me for later, thankfully. But um, 
I started leading worship as a teenager. I was in the youth group. I led worship from a baby grand piano sitting on the left-hand side of the stage that didn't move. And so I would lead the congregation in worship from that piano. And I remember when I was 16, um, I got invited to come to a conference here at Vineyard Boise. It was in the old, uh, one of the iterations of a sanctuary that has been on this, on this property right here. And I got invited um, by a friend, and that friend and I, we went to, uh, we came here on this campus to a vineyard worship conference. And um, it was by, uh, and the host, it was hosted here, but it was, um, the speaker at that conference was a guy named Andy Park. And Andy shared for a couple days from his heart, and he had just written this book called Thoughts on Worship which I immediately ran out and got. And as you can see, it's pretty worn out because I've used it. Because it revolutionized the way that I was leading worship, but not just the way I was leading worship, the way I worshiped. The way I worship. See, sometimes I, we can kind of get in this mode where showing up to church we think is worship or that checks the box for us that we did worship, right? Right? And that, that, this book changed the way that I thought about worship. It changed, you know, that, oh, I could be singing a song to God. I could be raising my hands to God. I could be dancing to God. I could be expressing all of these things to someone. Wasn't that I just came to a building and sang songs and did a few things. It, that, it's that I came to that building with those people to do things for someone. My worship was for someone. It changed, it changed everything. That's a vineyard principle. Worship is one of our core values here at the vineyard. You know, like I said, I like practical. I like, you know, just like, hey, give me the list. Tell me what to do. And we're going to be super practical at the beginning of our message today, just with a quick study on some words of worship, like Pastor Mike just kind of walked us through a few earlier. But we're going to be super practical here at the beginning. Um, and because, you know, and then I have a message out of that to share. But, you know, there's a resistance to this message today, and I want to tell you why. We don't like to be told what to do. Okay. So brace yourself. You might not like this message. You're smiling now. <laughs> I'm teasing. But I, I mean, I'm kind of teasing. It's human nature. We don't like to be told what to do. And these days, we really don't like to be told what to do. For whatever reason in our culture now, we don't even like to be, you know, we don't like to be told what you can and can't do, who you can and can't be. You can't tell me. You can't judge me. You can't. Right? This is a cultural thing that we live in right now. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like for people to say, well, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what God requires of you. And then we do that thing. What? Requires of me? What do you mean? I go to church. No, that's not what God requires of you. God requires some things in relationship with humanity. And we've strayed as the body of Christ. Not, not, I'm not just talking to Vineyard Boys. I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole. We've strayed away from hearing the voice of God through his word, not through, you know, a 15-second video you watched on your TikTok, hearing the voice of God through this right here and obeying the voice of God in response to this right here. We've lost it. We, we've kind of just, we're, we're, we're missing it. And so today, um, you know, I, I want to just bring a practical message and then I want to just preach a little bit out of that. But, you know, I've taught a lot on worship because like I said earlier, uh, maybe I didn't mention, my wife and I were worship pastors for many years. So I've taught a lot on worship and it's, it's I love it. I absolutely love it. I will do it anytime, any day. But the more I teach on worship and lead worship, the more I'm convinced that all of the messages I could ever teach on worship can all be summed up with one verse, which is the greatest commandment. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says this, and you shall, see that command word? That's a command word, you shall. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is the greatest commandment. A lot of times we, we skip over like, well, yeah, but Jesus pointed out and the second is great, you know, is like it. Well, yeah, he did. He said the second's like it because 
they already had a grasp on the first one. We're really focused on the second one, and the second's like it. Sure, the second is like it. However, it's not it. The first commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Worship is all about love. Love isn't simply a feeling. It is an emotion that's backed up with actions. Love isn't just simply a feeling. Love is an emotion that's backed up by our actions. When you love someone, you can tell that you love someone. The people around you can tell you love that person because of your actions toward that person. Is that right? Love is not just something that you say, and it's not simply something that you feel. It's something that you feel that's connected with something that you do. Love. Well, God knows my heart. Actually, God knows your personality. That's why we worship. Well, I'm an Enneagram 4. I don't care. I'm a 9. I don't care. God knows your personality. That's why he created us to worship him. And I'm going to show why worship is so critical, not to God, God receives worship day and night, night and day, right now. It's happening right now. After we stopped singing, heaven didn't stop singing. I said after we stopped singing, heaven didn't stop singing. God's receiving it right now. Worship is not simply for him. Worship is for us to change us. He incorporated movement action based on love to take us to a different relationship with him. Okay, so let's get really practical. You ready? We're just going to pound these out really practically, and then I'm going to yell at you. I mean, talk to you for one second. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I've been fighting a cold this week, so I have one of two levels. I'm either right down here, or you'll see the other one in a minute. I don't have anything in between. I have uh, nothing in between right now. So number one way that we worship. And these are all Hebrew words um, that I'm not going to get creative like Pastor Mike. I'm just going to tell you the English word for it because it's true. If you don't believe me, I challenge you, look it up. It's all there. Uh, The first one is sing. The way that we worship is we sing. Uh, In Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful singing. Psalm 107, 22, let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. The first Hebrew word for worship and praise is singing. That's why we do songs, right? That's why we, that's why um, Jesse and the team led us this morning in songs, in singing. And then do you know what he did? I don't know if you noticed, but Pastor Jesse then just said, now sing your own words. Why? Why is that important? Because in the New Testament, it says that we worship him with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Songs of the Spirit. Those are songs that you and I just have. You're like, I'm not a songwriter. I don't care. God doesn't care. Like Pastor Jesse said this morning, it might just be one word that's just on your heart to sing out to him or just speak out to him. Perfect. That's it. That's a spiritual song. We all lift that up to him, and that is worship. Okay, number two. We sing, and then we raise our hands. We raise our hands. This is in the Bible. This isn't just a bunch of people like around you that you think are strange. This is there. There's actually a Hebrew word for it, but in Psalm 134, verse 2, it says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Do you see how it applies? Lifting up our hands to praising him. This is part of it. We lift up our hands and we praise the Lord. Psalm 63, 4, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm 141, verse 2. May my prayer be set before you like incense. I love this one. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. See, the psalmist is connecting this to our ancient practice of worship through sacrifice. Incense was brought into the altar. Remember, we've talked about the, we talked about the tabernacle and the temple a few weeks back and how incense was brought in and put there to burn before the Lord as an offering of worship uh, by the priests for the people. And the psalmist here is saying, hey, when I lift up my hands, God, may that be to you as sweet as the evening sacrifice. Beautiful, isn't it? 
Isn't that a beautiful imagery? We raise our hands in worship. And I'm just giving you a couple of verses for each one, um, but there are, there are tons. And so I, I challenge you just to look it up and, and find it in there. It's, it's wonderful. This is a great study. It's actually one of my favorites to do. Um, and then next, so we have singing. We have raising up our hands. We have dance. Dancing. Yeah. Thank you for the four of you who clapped for dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> I, you know, um, hmm. this, when we dance before the Lord, it's, it is such a powerful thing. It is such a life-changing thing. I want to tell you, I'm sharing with you right now. I said earlier that I'm sharing with you I'm, I'm, that God's going to pour out the oil of gladness. Right now, these practical things I'm giving you these are what I would call the keys to the oil of gladness. I'm giving you a secret. I'm giving you a key. These are the keys to the oil of gladness. The oil of gladness is released when we sing. The oil of gladness is released uh, when we lift up our hands. The oil of gladness is released when we dance. The oil of gladness is poured out and listen, I, as Pastor Mike said earlier, I know we all can't do all of the things physically, maybe. But you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to. Why? Because it is my human response. When the Spirit of the Lord moves on my heart and I want to worship him and I want to praise him, my physical response to the emotion of love that I feel is all that's important. It's all that's important. Not who else is in the room. Not who's watching. Not if it's right. Not if I look good. It doesn't matter. Dance. Psalm 149, verse 3 says, Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with the timbrel and the harp. Psalm 150 says, Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Listen, um, there, the Hebrew word for dance can be translated several different ways in, inside of the word dance. And it's, it means to dance or to whirl around what it means, to dance or to whirl around. It can also mean, get this, it can also simply mean to take part. To take part. Worship's happening. We're all doing this together. I'm going to take part. I'm going to step into what's going on. I'm not just going to sit and be like, well, I don't care for that song. Oh, they let him lead again, huh? Wow. I'm going to dance. I'm going to take part. You see that I'm giving you keys to the oil of gladness right now. You might not think it's that practical, but I'm telling you that it is. I'm telling you that the oil of gladness is poured out very practically in our hearts and our lives. When we sing, when we raise our hands, when we dance, the oil of gladness gets poured out when we participate. Do you know this word for dance also means to tremble? To tremble. You ever felt that when the Spirit of the Lord just rests on a place on your heart? Okay, the next one. I told you we're going to move quick. The next one is to clap your hands. Clap your hands. Yeah. Clap your hands. This is a way that we praise. It's a way that we worship. Um, Psalm 47 verse 1 says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. We did that today as well. For the Lord, the Most High, is awesome. The great King over all the earth. The four, do you see that word four right in the middle? That is the why. You clap your hands. Why? Because God is awesome. That's why I clap my hands. I clap my hands in worship and praise because he's awesome. You can clap your hands for a lot of reasons, right? But clapping your hands in worship is to say God is awesome, the most high God. Okay, and then we have two more here. The next one, um, uh, this is a word that, that Pastor Mike shared with us this morning before. If you missed it, um, you should go back and watch it. It was good. It happened right at the beginning of worship before some of you are in here. But it says, to bow down. To bow down. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, 
our maker. Now, I love this word bow down. It, can, it also has a couple of words sort of around it. To bow down, to prostrate yourself before God. The root of the word is the word proximity. Proximity, closeness. Closeness, my closeness in worship. It's when, I, it's when I get close. It's when he gets close. It's our proximity. And then I do what? I bow down. See, the Hebrew is, this, is, be, is a beautiful language where one word, one symbol leads to and incorporates the next. My proximity to God leads me to bow down. That's where the word leads. And when you read it in Hebrew, what you see is get close, get down. Get close, get down. Yeah. Mm, Thank you, God, for the oil of gladness in this place on our hearts. We receive it, God. We receive it. And then out of Psalm 150, we get our last word for praise. There's worship and then there's praise. They're two separate words and they're translated into these different packages of how to express our emotion to God. Some of you are, I can tell some of you are bothered by it when I use the word emotion. You're like, oh, it shouldn't be emotional. Oh, yes, it should be emotional. Well, we don't want to be emotional today. I'd be like me giving my my me giving my ten year old her birthday presents and be like, "Honey, I got you this this thing that you've been wanting. I got you this unicorn bike." <laughs> don't get emotional. Just don't, now, don't get emotional. Just open it and be quiet. That's just cruel. What has God done in my life? So many things. Miracle after miracle, wonder after wonder, beautiful moment after beautiful moment, after season after season after season. Relationship with Jesus just gets sweeter every single year. And I want to tell you what, I'm real emotional about him. I'm real emotional about him. You should be too. We've been taught, like, oh, you just don't, don't get emotional and settle down. Don't settle down. Let the emotion of your heart, your love for him, let it out through these actions. He gave us these things to let out our praise and our worship and our emotion toward him. When I feel him near, I just want to get on the floor. When I think about what he's done for me, I just want to dance around. Psalm 150 says, this is, the, this is the last word for praise, and it's actually just the word praise. It's the word praise. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. You getting it? Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We praise him. We let praise, we let emotion rise up out of us with the actions that he's given us because that pleases him. God has a way. We said it all through our study of the tabernacle and the temple and the house of the Lord, that God has a way of doing things. God has a way of worship and praise. That word praise, listen to this, that word praise means thanks, cast down, throw, throw. Okay. (laughs) Beautify. I love that. To beautify. To rejoice. It also is like a festival. That's all. The word festival is tied up in there. Song, choir. These are all words for praise. Make music, boast. Look at this. Mad, foolish. Mad like crazy. Foolish. Some of you are like, uh, this, this seems a little uncomfortable. Good. That's about right. 
That's about right. When I was in children's ministry, Kate and I were children's pastors for 10 years, and we would train our staff, to, and we would say these words to them. At the end of the training, we would say, hey, you know, it's fine. You're going to be just fine. Just get out there, lead the class, lead the songs, do the stuff, do the crafts. Here's how you're, you will know if you feel stupid, you're doing it right. Didn't we, babe? That's what we say. If you feel stupid, you're doing it right. You're on to something. If you're leading in kids' ministry and you feel foolish, you're almost there. You're doing it right. This word for praise is foolish. Foolish. Look at this one. I love this one. Wedding songs. Wedding songs. What's that about? Wedding song. Well, you know, there aren't many like down and dark wedding songs. And if there are, you, you know, get out. <laughs> Just kidding. Wait, I did not know. Listen, <laughs> wedding songs. Don't you love that? Like, I love a wedding. Like, I, invite me. I'll be there. I'm so there. Why? Because they're fun. Weddings should be fun. It's an amazing event. It should be fun. Wedding songs. To laud, to praise, to commend, to speak well of, to glory. Wow. That one Hebrew word praise has all of those in it. So these are actions that we express our love to God with. So kind of moving out of the practical piece, I just want to challenge our hearts just, just for a couple minutes here. Today we're talking specifically in this series about the presence, how we worship in the presence. We talked about celebration in the presence. Next week, um, Danica's going to bring an awesome word on prayer in the presence of God. I'm really excited about it. Pre the presence of God. How do we worship in the presence of God? And, and I have this, there's a story that I'm always drawn back to when I talk about worship. I, I always go back to it until somebody tells me otherwise, I'm just going to keep doing it. Which is in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 6. We're not going to read all of it today. I just want to touch on the story of it. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and chapter 6. It's about King David. Remember in our series on the tabernacle and the tent and the house of God, we talked about the tabernacle, the tent, represented in the, to the people of God, it represented the place where God dwelt. Is God everywhere? Yeah. Yeah. Is, is God omnipresent? Yes, that's what that means. He, God is everywhere in his creation. God will meet with you anywhere. God will meet you anytime, any place. But in, in that time, God set aside the tabernacle in the temple as the touch place where he, the, the touch point place where he would come down and he would rest there. He dwelt there, the Bible said. He dwelled there. It's a place where his glory was, where his presence was. So 2 Samuel chapter 5 tells us the story where King David, um, has he's moving the Ark of the Covenant, which was that thing that was in the tent, in the tabernacle. It was in the Holy of Holies. It was the Ark of the Covenant. You've seen it in Indiana Jones, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, anyway, it's really the best reference to it. I could give you a bunch of verses, but if I say his name, you know what I'm talking about. Without the Nazis. Okay. So he brings the Ark... <laughs> He brings the Ark of the Covenant, and he's, he's, um, what's happened is that uh, the children of Israel were in battle against the Philistines, which was their, like, their big enemy. And they thought they were going to be really awesome. They were tired of getting, um, their, you know, getting spanked by the Philistines, so they decided, hey, I know what we're going to do. We're going to go old school, and we're going to take the presence of God into battle with us. We're just going to bring out the ark. We're going to take the ark, and then we'll just take the ark out into battle, and God will just like blow them out of the water. They didn't understand why they were in battle, but that's a different sermon. So they take the ark of the covenant out into battle with them, and what happens? They, it gets stolen. The Philistines are like, hey, thanks for the gold, man. Appreciate it. Let's take this box back to camp. Woo! Again, they defeat the Israelites. Everything goes terribly. And finally, uh, what happens is they, the Philistines get all of these plagues on them, right? And they, they because of the, the Ark of the Covenant in their camp, and so they send it back. They send it back on a cart all by itself. They're just like, get out of the camp. So they send it back, and 
Israel doesn't know what to do with it. It's kind of a confusing time politically in Israel, so they don't know what to do with the Ark of God, so they put it in this guy's living room. <laughs> They're not the most smartest. They put it in the guy's living room. His name's Obed-Edom. And it stays there for three years. It's in the house. This, his children actually, you know, they're being raised with the presence of God there in their living room. Crazy, right? So David gets crowned king. Saul is defeated. Everything is looking up. David's like, hey, we're going to move the capital to Jerusalem. It's going to be incredible. And I want the presence of God to be with me in the capital. So let's bring the ark down. Let's do it. So they try it. They put it on a cart like, like the Philistines did with two oxen, and they're leading the cart. And what happens? They fail big time. They're trying to bring this cart down. It says from the hills into the city. It says they bring the cart from up above, down below. And as they're doing that, the ark falls, and Uzzah reaches out to, touch, to steady the ark and touches it, and God strikes him dead for touching it. They didn't do it right. See? And Uzzah's death is this wake-up call for David. They brought the ark down the hill. It came down from the hill, meaning they didn't have it. I'm going to break it down simple for you because I need this too. They didn't have it, and then they got it. It's up on the hill at Obed-Edom's house. They bring it down to the city where they can have it again. That's the goal. I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes we can just kind of assume that we've got it. We can just be like, oh, we've got it. We've got it. We have it. And remember what that symbolizes. It symbolizes the presence of God. And sometimes I feel like we're just like, oh, we got it. After all, we're the vineyard. We're the vineyard. Worship's one, you know, it's like one of our core practices. We got it. After all of the worship schools and trainings and conferences and leaders and churches and albums and artists, all of these things are awesome, but do you ever just feel like something's missing? Do you ever feel like something's missing in church? Ever just, you can be honest right now. You don't have to answer out loud, but in your heart, maybe be honest real quick. Do you ever get to church and just be like, huh, something is missing? You see, it's okay to say that out loud. David did. David was like, hey, I've got my new kingdom. I've got my new city. I've got my new rule going on. I'm, an, you know, I'm the authority now. I'm the king now. Everything's awesome. It's going to be great, you guys. Really, it's going to be great. And then he realizes that something's missing. The presence of God was not there. He wasn't content just to have a palace of his own in a capital city that was own, his own with the people that were his own. He wanted the presence of God there with them. Something was with, missing and today in the body of Christ, I think a lot of people are stopping to say, hey, I think something's missing. When we're willing to say that and act on the fact that something's missing, it brings a fresh renewal of the presence of God to the house of God. Today, we're just kind of evaluating our hearts and saying, hey, is, is the presence of God, it, 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 is something missing? So we're just going to ask that question together. So as David is bringing the ark into the city, he makes this huge mistake. He brings it in on a cart. He brought it in on a cart because a few chapters back, the Philistines moved the cart the same way. That's what he knew to do. They were his enemies, and Israel had been fighting with them for years, and, you know, they'd just been defeated. And sometimes we can be in battle for so long that we start to take up the methods of other people of our enemies. We, we may be fighting it so long that we just kind of do what other people do. Like, oh, this is, this, let's try this. This will work. Maybe this will do it. Churches are doing this all over. What, what are you guys doing? Well, what's happening over there? I'm far more concerned with what the Spirit of God is doing than what people are doing. Amen? Amen. In our services, in our gatherings together, we want to be far more concerned about what the Spirit of God is doing. What's God saying? What does God want? So David makes this huge mistake. Was his heart wrong? No. No, his heart wasn't wrong. God loved David's heart, but had to correct his methods. Right? He loved his heart. He was like, yeah, bring my presence there. Bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city. I love your heart. Let's correct your methods. 
Let's correct your method. Scripture describes David as a guy who is all about creating a theocracy out of Israel. Today, we as the church should be all about creating a theocracy, but this theocracy is not this country. Scripture describes David as a guy who is all about bringing God, I'm choosing my words carefully here, bringing God to be the leader and the ruler of the nation out of the capital of the nation. But you see, creating a theocracy for us as believers, it's not here, it's not this country, it's Zion, the city of the great king. And my prayer is that it would be said of you and I like it was said of Abraham, that we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Today, may, we be, may it be said of us that we stand that our, in the fact that our hope and our deliverance is not in a policy or a politician or the confines of a country or a constitution. Our hope is in the man Christ Jesus, and we will put all of our trust and hope in him alone. He alone is worthy of our attention and our focus. Hmm. Our adoration and our worship. He alone is worthy of our first love. Like I thought this was a sermon about worship and he just made it political. No, we make it political. We make it a mess. We're the ones that make a mess of things like worship. We do. We make a big mess of stuff. When we, we get involved and we implement our ideas and our thoughts, we, we can make a big mess of things. Remember, worship is all about love. We read at the beginning. Worship is about love, our affection for God. That's what we express with our praise and our worship. But we've allowed, I have allowed, we as a nation has allowed, we have a, as a people have allowed our affections to be drawn to leaders people, systems, and ideologies, forgetting that Jesus is also a bridegroom. See, we forget that Jesus is also a bridegroom. And he will not share the affections of his bride with another. We're talking about the oil of gladness today. If that message hits us right between the eyes, it's probably because we need the oil of gladness if I don't have it, if I'm lacking the joy of the Lord and the oil of gladness in my life and when I come to church and when I'm with my family and when I'm at my job, if I'm lacking joy and gladness, maybe, just maybe, it's because I'm not in alignment with the word of God, his teaching about worship and praise. Why? Because maybe my affections are in the wrong place. Maybe the affections of the bride have turned off of the bridegroom. Maybe we're in a position where our love needs to be restored. We need to be called back, like he says in Revelation, to our first love. Worship is always about being called back to our first love. Not letting, not being distracted by the love of another. That sounds a little bit romantic and weird to me. Hey, I'm not the one that called him the bridegroom and myself the bride. God did. He says to us, my love for you is like a bridegroom to a bride. So what am I doing with my love for him? Hmm. Hmm. This isn't new. You know that? This isn't a new thing. God knows this about us. That's why he gave us these tools to restore the oil of gladness in our lives. <clears throat> this isn't new. The children of Israel had this problem too. They're right there at the feet of Mount Sinai. You might know the story, you might not, but there they are. And, and the Bible says that Moses gets called up with the 70 leaders of the nation as well as a couple of other dudes. And they go up the mountain, up Sinai to meet with God. And the Bible says a physical cloud descends on the mountain and everyone can see it and they're afraid. They're like, oh my gosh, they're all camped around the mountain. God's up on the mountain, shaking the mountain. It says there's earthquakes. There's, they can feel it. They can hear it. They can see it. Moses goes up into it. Do you know what they decide to do? A few days go by. They can still see everything that God is doing up there. 
and they decide to convince Aaron to make them an idol to worship. Right there at his feet. This is convicting to me. See, you, God knows this about us. God knows that we can actually be right at his feet and worshiping and loving and having our affections taken by someone else. Help us, God. God knows that we can be so close in proximity to him and just have our hearts drawn away by so many other things. See, David bringing the ark into the city was about bringing the people back to their first love. He just wasn't doing it correctly. He needed a wake-up call. He needed the fear of the Lord. And after that incident, David was afraid. He didn't know what to do. He puts the ark away for a few days, and then it says he just gets restless again. He's like, no, we need it. So he goes, and he asks the priest what to do. David feared the Lord, the fear of the Lord. The Bible says it's the beginning of wisdom. We talked about this just a few weeks ago, remember? It always begins with the fear of the Lord. Worshiping him, our relationship with him always begins with the fear of the Lord. The most important thing to understand about God is how to be in his presence and that God has a way of doing things. That's what David learns here. God has a way. He wants to know how to move the ark, David does. He asks the priests who have the law, how do we know the way? And the priests say, well, the law says, here's how you do it. The law says, here's how, he goes to the people who know the law and they say, here's how you do it, king. And he takes the law and he does it according to the word of God. So we want the presence of God. We want the oil of gladness. We want this worship idea. We want to be in his presence. The fear of the Lord draws us to know his ways. To worship him rightly, we have to know him. To worship him correctly, we have to know him. God is doing something new. There's this renewal coming to the church, and you're going to know that it's him. You're going to look at it and be like, whoa, that's crazy. What's happening? You're going to know it's God because you know him. That's what he's doing in this day. He's bringing renewal. He's bringing revival. He's bringing a refreshing to his church, to his people, and it might seem a little bit weird, and that's okay. You're going to be okay with it because you know it's him. Why? Because you know him. If you don't know him, you might just be like, ah, no, I'm out. See, when I know him and I know what he's like, I know why somebody might dance like that. When I know him and I know what he's like, I know why somebody might just fall on their face weeping before him. See, when I know him and I know what he's like, I know why somebody might literally sing until they have no voice left. Because I know him and I know what he's like. He's that good. He's that great. He's that wonderful that I will look around and be like, whoa, what are they doing? Oh, they're worshiping their God. Oh, yeah. I know what he's like. I know what he's like. So I just want to wrap this up with how this story ends with, for David. What happens in this particular story is that he, um, we used to have this old song that was like, when the spirit of the Lord moves in my heart, I will dance like David danced. Anybody know that one? It's in C minor, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> that song comes from this passage which says that he leads the Ark of the Covenant in. It's on the, the shoulders of the priest. And it says they took every six steps that they took, they would stop and they would kill a bull and sacrifice that bull right there until it was done. Then they would take another six steps. They would stop. They'd sacrifice another bull until it was done. 
Then they would take another six miles and miles and miles of this. Why? He was going to get it right this time. He had the fear of the Lord. He was so enamored with God and getting his presence there correctly, he wasn't going to do it wrong. See, when we have the fear of the Lord, we don't just be like, oh, yeah, I don't know, try it. When we have the fear of the Lord, you say, okay, what, what are the rules again? Somebody died last time. What are the rules this time? He is so excited by the time he gets the ark into the city and the whole nation moves into the city. He is dancing. He's taken most of his clothes off. The Bible says it. You can check it. He's taken most of his clothes off. He's dancing like crazy. They set the ark in the tent, and then every, he feeds everybody, and then they all go home. And he goes home, and he is just pumped. Do you know what happens? His wife meets him at the door, and she's like, hmm, I saw you. And not in the, like, I see you kind of way. You know what I mean? The Bible says that she judged him in her heart. When she saw him come into the city, she judged him in her heart. She had feelings about what he was doing out there. She was embarrassed by it. And David said, oh, that's okay. It wasn't for you. It was for the Lord anyways. I don't care if you're embarrassed. (laughs) When we worship him the way he deserves to be worshiped, Some people might look at that and and despise what you're doing. They might judge you in their heart. If you're not being judged in somebody else's heart, you might not be worshiping. Listen, you know what the Bible also says about her? It says that from that day on, she was barren for the rest of her life. Yeah. Hmm. David was excited. Why was he so excited? Yeah, he was bringing the ark in, and it was exactly what he wanted, and it was going right this time, but why was he actually being so energetic in worship? He describes it in Psalm chapter 18. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 18. I'm not going to read it for you. There's just a list there of why he's so excited. Because God has been so good to him. God has been so good to him. Psalm 18, he lists off all of these things God has done. One thing after another. One thing after another. One thing after another. God, you're this. God, you're that. God, you've been this. God, you've done that. God, you've saved me from this. God, you did this. God, you did all of these things. This is what's going on in his heart. And it says the title of this psalm is A Psalm of Praise by David. This is what's going on in his heart during all of this. That's why he was dancing. That's why he was shouting. That's why he was clapping. That's why he had to take his clothes off. That's why he did all of these things, because he was outrageous. Just like the word praise said, he was acting foolishly. He was acting mad in the presence of God, because God is who God is. And he was responding to God with his emotions. He was thinking about God. Sometimes we come into settings of worship as a church, as the body of Christ, and we must not be thinking about God. Because if we were thinking about God, I would worship a little differently. If I was thinking thoughts about him, how good he was, how good he's been, oh, the miracles he's done in my life, in my family. If I was thinking about him, I would probably worship him differently. I would probably actually praise him. Actually praise him. Not sing the word praise that's on the screen for me. Not take baby bites. Not take baby steps. I would think thoughts about him and what he's done. Whew. What he has done, I could stand up here all day It's 11.36. Should we try it? (laughs) Worship team, would you guys come on up? They're good to go all day. They're fine. Um, (laughs) I need a soundtrack for this. (laughs) No, listen. 
I could stand up here all day and tell you the good things God has done. The good things that God has done in my life. The good things God has done in my marriage. The good things God has done in my family. I could just, I could literally just talk all day about him. Rather than talk about him, sometimes I just need to worship him. Sometimes I need to lift up my hands and dance and shout. Sometimes I just feel like yelling that he's good. Do you ever feel like that? I just feel like yelling that he's good because he's good. Thoughts of God should stir something in you and I. Thoughts about him should stir something in us as the body of Christ. Thoughts about what he's done. Do you know what what Israel was thinking when they came to worship? They were thinking how no matter how many hundreds of years earlier it was that God reached out and he rescued them out of Egypt miraculously in the night and he saved them and he opened up the Red Sea in front of them and he pushed them through it. And then when their enemies came across, he closed the sea and drowned all of them. That's what they were thinking about when they brought a praise. And it made them just want to shout. And so they did. Because God, the scripture says, with a mighty hand drew me out. What I want to do today is just give us keys to the oil of gladness. Sometimes we just need to remember that God, with a mighty hand, drew us out. Maybe he drew you out of abuse, or maybe he drew you out of suicide. Maybe he drew you out of a pandemic. Maybe he rescued you from a divorce. Maybe he drew you out of sickness and death. Maybe he drew you out of circumstances that you could not see through. Maybe you're in the middle of those right now. And I'm here to tell you today that the Bible says that he will draw you out of them again. And our God is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. And when I worship him, I can worship him for nothing more than the fact that he is absolutely faithful when no one else is. He will never fail you. All over this room, let's just stand together. He's worthy. He's worthy of our shouts, of our dance, of our waving, raised hands, worthy of our singing and our songs, worthy of our bowed knees before him and our stunned silence. He's worthy of our praise and our worship. And Pastor Jesse talked last week about voluntary and involuntary celebration. You know, one day the Bible says that one day worship will be very involuntary because you're just going to see him and see him as he is, the Bible says. And it says that in, those day, in that day, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God the Father. Someday that's what's going to happen. We get this beautiful moment now where not everything is awesome. 
where not everything seems right. Where some days it seems like nothing is ever easy and life is overwhelming and life circumstances are just piling up and we just don't know what to do and our bodies are broken and our minds are broken and we just feel broken and in those moments we get the glorious privilege of worshiping him just as he is just as we are so this morning would you just begin to think thoughts about god not like i'm not talking about like biblical like god like i'm talking about like God in you. I think about how just last week I stood up here and I testified that we laid hands on my son who had a heart murmur and he went and got checked two days later and he no longer has a heart murmur. That's what I think. Those are my, th those are my thoughts about God right now. That he heals the sick and he can raise the dead. think uh, thoughts like God rescues children that are lost. I think that God heals bodies. I, I know that God heals minds and I've seen it. I think how God rescued me from a life of depression and suicidal thoughts and he pulled me up out of that. And so when I worship him, I worship him there with those thoughts. What are your thoughts about God? And as you think about your thoughts about God, would you just, would you just begin to let praise just rise up out of your heart? I'm not, we're just gonna play music. We're not even leading anything. We've talked about a lot of things, practical things we could do today, but I don't know. I, when I think about God, I don't have to have words up. He's been so good. And if you're in a difficult time right now, what I want to say is worshiping him in a difficult time is like the most powerful kind of worship. If you're just kind of feeling numb and just like, man, I don't know. Hey, will you think about him for just a minute? how he saved you. All over this room. God, our hearts are just turning toward you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being so good. <laughs> Thank you for doing good things in my life, in my heart, in my marriage, in my family. Come on, just begin to thank him today. Would you just begin to thank the Lord? Just thank him out loud. Come on, just thank him. Thank you, God. Thank, yes, come on, God, we just worship you. We thank you. You're worthy of our thanks and our praise, God. You are worthy of it all. 
you but something shifted in this place today something shifted in our hearts do you feel it he's shifting something in our hearts to say hey here's the oil of gladness he's pouring it out and this week as you sense just your need for the oil of gladness in your life the joy of the Lord I want you to begin to exercise worship before him exercise praise before him as we do that these very practical things He's going to just meet you with the oil of gladness. He's going to meet you with joy. He's going to turn over your morning, your season of mourning and darkness. He's going to turn that over. He's going to do a work in our lives, in our hearts, in our church. Amen? And so I want, I want, what I want to challenge us today to is this. We're stepping into a new, into a new season of worship. So it, maybe, maybe that means you... You're comfortable singing. Okay, let's start raising your hands. Maybe you're comfortable raising your hands. Let's start clapping in worship. Maybe you're comfortable with that. Maybe start dancing in worship. You're comfortable with that. Maybe start shouting in worship. What we're going to do is we're going to start as a church to step in to a greater capacity of worshiping the Lord. Can we do that? So here's my challenge to you. We're not going to talk a whole lot about worship in our, in our worship times. We're just going to start. Okay? We're just going to start our worship times together on Sunday mornings. We're just going to start them and see where God goes. Can we do that? Can we just start worship and see what God wants to do? Because we're so, we're so enraptured with His love. We're so caught up with His goodness. We just, we just want to see where He wants to go. Amen? So let's press into that. God, I thank You for Your people. I thank You for this day, God. And today I ask for Your blessing, God, as we go. Father, I speak the oil of gladness over every heart right now. In Jesus' name, as we step into worship and we step into praise, God, in your precious name. And everybody said in agreement. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have an incredible week. We'll see you back here at 930.
Sunday morning. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.